Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Well, happy Feast of the Annunciation. Yeah, yeah, this is Father Mike. And Father John, good to be with you. And we have a special guest. We do. Here he is. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Introduce yourself, Father. Here, take the microphone. My name is Father Father Trevor Tibbetsma. I'm a priest of the Archdiocese of Melbourne, Australia. You have a wacky accent. Where's that from? The Archdiocese of Melbourne, Australia. Were you ever a uh, convict? I heard it's an island of convicts. It was actually a thing of pride to be related to the convicts, and yes, yes, we're related Are they to an Irish, Irish convict. Or? Oh, really? We don't even know what his crime was. Oh, um, d- have you ever gone on a walkabout? Hold on a second. I just want to say, uh, <laughs> Father Trevor just flew in from London yesterday, right? And uh, joined us for Lord's Day tonight. It's 10.30 at night on a Saturday, which means it's about, I don't know, 6.30 in the morning in uh, in England right now. And now he's going to be uh, interrogated by uh, Father Mike. So go ahead. We'll continue here on the uh, podcast. But this is one of our favorite guys from Rome. We say together, Father Daniel Eusterman's in the room as well, but he's safely away from the microphone. Um, and uh, so... We, we coerced him into talking with us a little bit tonight. So go ahead, Mikey. So I heard that uh, you had a great snowboarding teacher once upon a time. Yeah, his name was Father Michael Rapp. Hey. He taught me to snowboard. I think I was skiing. I'm grateful though. for that, by the way. We rode the... You were wearing jeans. Your bag got lost. <laughs> oh, no. You were wearing know. denim jeans. You're not allowed to do this. <laughs> like the airline lost your bag. Oh, so no. You just, you just wore what you were wearing. So we were up in the corner of Italy... At the Mont Blanc, mm-hmm. Monte Bianco. Yeah, we survived. Yep. Cormayeur. Yeah, something Do like I that. Do I say that right? Cormayeur. Cormayeur. I don't know. You're the French scholar. Am I? I think you are. We told uh, Father Trevor we, there's a tradition when Eusterman brings an Australian to Colorado. And uh, Goebel will probably not be happy to hear this story told publicly. It probably has been. I think everything at this point. We've been doing this podcast since 2010, so... Everything has basically been said. But Eusterman brought a Father Daniele Russo. Do you remember him? Yeah, sure. And uh, do, you, do you know this story? No. We're all over at Goebbels, and Go- Schloss Goebbels has a pool, and they're just enjoying themselves in the pool. And Goebel comes up and says, hey, I got some Roman candles. Oh, Should no. we scare them? And so we run out with lit Roman candles, and the thought was, we'll just kind of shoot these things above the pool you know, just to kind of, and he's yelling out Harry Potter, you know, Aspecta Patronum and just, you know, and at some point, somebody, we don't know who it is. This will be revealed in purgatory probably. Uh, but one of them, Eusterman comes up out of the water and a Roman candle goes, boom, right into his face. And it was actually, a, a, he's smiling now. It was a terrifying, it was, smiling a, it was a, a terrifying moment. And, uh, this classy Australian, I think he's from Sydney, right? Russo. And he's just like, I'm, I'm getting out like this, this is over. So we asked Trevor like, Hey, you know, this is kind of the tradition. We could, you know, find a pool somewhere Start and, and shooting fire some fireworks off. Candles, off? But I don't think we'll do that. So is it like a JFK thing? Who fired the shot? That, yeah, that's the question. Do we know? It, it, it hasn't, we did. No. They, we just, cause the, you know, they keep coming. So like one of them goes into Eusterman's face and, and it's like, but there's still another eight rounds. So we just kind of stood there dejected. It was just like, boom, boom. <laughs> And then finally it ended. But uh, Father Trevor's doing some interesting work. So you should tell us about where you're at. And He didn't want to talk about his All right, go ahead and give us the rundown. Theological project. Father Mike was already drilling him about it, and it was actually very funny. So go ahead. Or I can ask you about AFL. 
the blues carlton blues yeah yeah tell me about baruch uh, it's a book in the bible <laughs> sure is, is old is testament a, not all bible old right? testament or new if you're a catholic or orthodox <laughs> so you're doing a doctorate work i'm doing my phd at durham university with a director called uh, walter mobley shout out walter probably need his permission to be talking about oh no this. okay yeah. so we don't have to put you on uh what, what would it be record you you have rights to this stuff you haven't said anything in, so we don't, don't need, we don't need rights uh we used to go to the pub to watch the carlton blues play didn't we or was yep. that with michael michael organized it i think i went yep are you still playing fantasy afl football never did really not my thing. Who's your team? Hawks. Oh, no. All right. We're done with that one. You have not gotten into the Premier League. What do you think of uh, food in Great Britain? Bland. How um, t- tied are you? How, how beloved are, is the royal family? Because Australia is one of those, what do you call them? British? Commonwealth countries. Commonwealth. Yeah. What does that mean? Do you pay taxes to the lady? I'm probably not qualified to talk about this. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> really? Are you not Australia- Australian? He's been fooling us the whole time. Um, what about, uh, what's your favorite Marian feast? I can't say. Annunciation? It'd be difficult to say. Who's your favorite archangel? You oh. know what's great about this? We haven't had somebody who has not wanted to be on the podcast this bad <laughs> since <laughs> Becca Messel, Becca Messel yeah. joined that. We had a friend who... Uh, we thought, oh, it'd be nice for her to share her story of her vocation. She's leaving for the convent. She helped us out on the kind of back end of the podcast. And uh, our friends described, Paul Palumbo described it as uh, four celibate men attempt a conversation with a woman. Oh, That's how no. awkward it was. So <laughs> this is two celibate men approach, uh, attempting one with another celibate friend of ours. So A priest Trevor, who's well jet-lagged. He's, he's jet-lagged, man. Have you ever heard a confession on a plane or in an airport? No. Okay. What about, do you watch... I think you should think about these questions wisely because I think there are very few of them left before Well, Father no, Trevor there, I'm gonna, getting practical, see? Okay. All right. I'm, I'm trying to help you, by the way. But, what's, you your, uh, what's your style on a plane? Do you watch movies? Do you read books? Do you talk to the people next to you? How long do you talk to the people next to you? I read books. Do you talk I, to the people next I to you? I usually read an entire book. Really? What do yep. you read? Uh, oh, the last flight, I read gotcha. one by my supervisor just finished it as the on plane Baruch. landed on scripture what yeah, about it's talking called to the, the people bible next in a disenchanted age you should read it what about talking to the people next to you do you introduce yourself or do you just yeah ride? I, at the start i might introduce myself i sat next to two lovely mormons on this flight all right um, welcome to colorado yep i i'm with father trevor so i i had a experience actually with an aussie i sat next to this guy and we were flying from somewhere in europe back to denver and we went super deep, like right away, deep into his life, into his marriage, into like just oh the messiness of human existence for about three hours. Oh, I was going to say, at and what then, point do you cut it off? But then we ran out, but he was like an, he was like my age, like normal guy, super deep. And then we just, the conversation just ended. It was over. <laughs> and we still had like nine hours left on this plane together. Uh, uh, so after that point, I, 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 I'm with, I'm with Father Trev. It's like. Just read the book and you yeah. know, be careful. But I have a feeling you have a different style on that. No. You know what? I, I'm getting old. I just turned 40. And uh, in my latter years here, I 
tend to not have a whole lot of time for that. I'm kind of like looking forward to the food coming so that you can kind of turn off. Do you like extra salty foods now that you're kind of geriatric millennial? I've always liked extra salty yeah, foods. Yeah, you do. Okay. Let's talk about 40 for a second. So Father Mike, uh, we had a great... 40th, Trevor, how old 40th are you? birthday. No, no, no. We're going to give him a break for a second. He's right. You can leave whenever you want. I'm trying to protect you. He's, He's walking. He's walking. Wait, hold on. Last Let me question. Ask, I got, ask last I got, question. I got another question, okay. and then you can go. This better be a good one because he's he wants I to know, leave. He's ready to leave. That's a that's the look of a man who wants to leave. Oh, this is for our audience. Have you ever listened to Catholic stuff you should know? A J10 podcast. Never. Oh come on, die! I don't even seriously. That was that. the last question you want to ask. Oh, <laughs> Father Trevor, right. thank you for being here. Famous Father Daniel, last words. see you guys. Trev, enjoy your great to see you, buddy. Your time in the Western United States. Blessings. Yeah, take care. Let me know next year so we can snowboard. He's so done. That was that was the look of a man. It was a dead man. He's ready was, to go. Yeah, that was the thousand mile stare. It was like he's, if we had a tomb for him to sleep in. Right yeah, here. poor guy. But you got some good questions in there. So I tried. And yeah. I told you, I said the people love, everybody loves the accent, right? I know, I mean, but he didn't really go and give us a, <laughs> a real demonstration there. Thanks, Trev. I know. So I love go. that kid. He's we, a great guy. Yeah, we, he was one of our favorites, I think, from Rome. He was a great, uh, yeah. I don't know, in, support, friend, and a uh, good example in Rome. I think the Aussies have something of a similar culture to yeah. Colorado priests. And uh, or just like American Western priests, yeah, where there's something of like uh, keep it cool, stay grounded, you know, don't get wrapped up in the you know church politic over there. But. Definitely an affinity. So the the backstory here is that so when Father Mike and I were in Rome, we studied at a place called the Casa Santa Maria, which is connected to the North American College. So all over Rome, you have these these different colleges which are based in nationalities. So there's a Brazilian college and an Irish college and a Spanish college and we're the North American college, so Canada and uh, United States. But through connections such as Cardinal Pell, there was a couple of these Aussies, from mostly from Melbourne and Sydney. Um, and just to reiterate your point there, Mike, like we just loved them. They were just they were just so fun and a very similar style to the Western United States. And so, yeah, fun. Trev was here. He's been with us tonight for Lord's Day, but hit the wall, man. Hit the jet lag Dude, wall. Jet lag's rough. Yeah. But let's go back to your 40th. So tell us about what you did, what we did. What did we do? So I, It was a blast. I it had was... kind of a, a couple parties with my family, yep. and then the companions all went out. There were like 20 priests. A lot of guys. At yeah. the Hibachi. Hibachi. We went to Hibachi. These guys are super impressive with their, uh, I don't I wouldn't say culinary skills. What is it called when you're flipping around the spatula? Acrobatics. Yeah, I mean, it was exactly. amazing. Yeah. I had yeah. never been to Hibachi. I'd never seen oh, that really? before. No, it was, it was oh, incredible. See, I, I thought it would be fun. I'm glad it worked out really well. Uh, Father Matt was very um, accommodating to this request. Yeah. And there's fire that goes everywhere. They're spraying fire. They're spraying sake in guys' See you, boys. See you, hey, Trev. Later. We'll see you. It's great to see Take you, Take care. Trev. Enjoy, Avon. Uh, I don't think he liked being asked to be on the podcast either. We love you, Trev. When you listen to this down the line, he's going to call back and say, oh, no, I want I know. I want a real. Uh, let's see. I had scallops that were amazing. Yeah. I think that was my my favorite there. They, yeah, the crowd was, was pretty good. You guys had on your side of the table, we had two different chefs, or I don't know what you would call them, and... 
Yours seemed like a lot of fun. He was wild. He was pouring a lot of sake into people's mouths. <laughs> yeah, they throughout squ- the whole they meal. it with a squirt bottle. Yeah. He's loving that. And then he's just saying some funny stuff and goofing around. Our guy was trying. He wasn't as funny. He was trying. Okay. He was, you know, an expert at his craft. Right. A lot of fire. Right. A lot of sake. But he, uh, yeah, wasn't as, you know, spot on. But the food is, oh, it was delicious. It was. Comes out fresh. You watch this guy make fried rice. And you say, that's so simple. Why can't I do it so yeah. well? Just cracks the egg and just yeah. mixes it Stirring all together. It and, yeah. A lot of butter. A lot, lot of butter. butter and yeah. then soy sauce. Yeah. No, it was a great night. And we all honored uh, Mike for, uh, you know, for the many, many good virtues that he brings into our life. And uh, it, it was beautiful. I mean, but it's, it's hard to believe. It's like, you know, the 83 boys, so Mike uh, in March and then Global in April and then myself in August were hitting 40. And there's a lot of companions who are already in their 40s, but we started this podcast when we were 27. Is it? We started the companions when we were like 23, 24. No. I mean, yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that's early. So it's it's crazy to it's it's crazy to think about that. And But it was a great, great moment. And then, you know, it sounds like you had a great night with your family and uh, Nancy Rapp had a great line. I didn't think you'd make it to 19 and here you yeah. are being 40. So definitely. And then we, we were reminiscing when, um, when we were together as a family and they were telling stories about kind of on along that line, it was like, you know, I, I said, well, you make a big deal about how kind of wild and, um, I don't know, reckless that I was. And, I don't really believe that. So then they started telling stories. Oh, no, man. Were like, yeah, one year old, I'm kind of like <laughs> hanging from the side of a hot tub and falling out of the tree house. And there was just, it was like one after another. And I was like, okay. 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 The, the one we always heard was you were climbing on the roof during nap time. And I the neighbor, loved that, neighbor said to call in and say, hey, you know, your child is. I used to have penny hunts. So I would, I would wait until I, we had bunk beds. And my brother was on the top and he would fall asleep and I'd hear my mom going down the stairs and then I would go and climb up on the bookshelf, slide out the screen door or the the screen of the window and then go throw a bunch of pennies out on the roof and, and go penny hunt. hunt for him. Oh, funny. You know? But I remember like back then now I, the uh, shingles are made out of some sort of synthetic thing. And then it was wood. Yeah. And I would get so many splinters. Oh, man. And I hate splinters. I don't know what it is. Do you? It was splinters and then uh, paper cuts. Paper cuts. Those are the worst. They are you bad. You could punch me in the face, and yeah. I would rather have rather you punch me in the face yeah. than to get a... I worked at Pizza Hut once, and I'd have to like uh, kind of fold up the boxes. They'd be flat, and then you fold them up to stick a pizza in there, and I'd get these cardboard paper cuts that were deep and they were so gross so we do this thing called the hot seat uh when somebody has a birthday at my house with my seminarians where four minutes you just ask questions so i'm not going to ask you questions yeah i'm not going to and we actually did it to archbishop aquila recently which was awesome but i was kind of like all right boys let's keep the some of the questions are like all right last girlfriend things and i was like okay let's just keep this under control uh but i'm going to ask you some questions kind of throughout this podcast i'm not going to hit you for four minutes but we'll start with the first one so favorite job before obviously being a priest favorite job was um working construction um this was 
couple of summers during seminary, the like way back when I had started, they didn't have you do a parish assignment. I'm not sure why. Same with me, yeah. But it was like, go get a job. Go, get, go work. Go work. Yeah. And it was awesome. Yeah. Because we would work four tens, 10-hour days, four days a week, go to work early, work the, work the 10. And I always just liked working with my hands and being outside. And there's something about the craftsmanship of uh, setting skylights. That's what we were doing. Hmm. And then there's something very satisfying about looking at the work that you've done. So I worked a big job on Riverfront Mall uh, down on what Santa Fe and Bowles. Right. And then one on Denver County Jail. And I go to Denver County Jail now to visit prisoners and do community. Like, I haven't done mass there, but hear confessions and stuff like that. And just to look up and say, I made that. Yeah, you know, that's cool. I put that in. That's amazing. And then, um, and it's so different than, like our priestly work is absolutely beautiful, but sometimes you wonder, like, am I going to be able to see the fruits now, or am I just waiting t- for heaven, or, or, yeah. or maybe you just don't see? It's it, it, there's something so obvious and objective about that that's different than working with people, and I love working, you know, as a priest. This is great life. Uh, but that was probably my favorite. I liked working at Wendy's. I was going to say. I hated I thought, Kmart. I thought that Wendy- was the one. I hated Kmart. <laughs> I thought Wendy's would be your favorite, but construction took Wendy's the- was cool, but construction was great because we did the work during the day. I liked the work, and then we came home, and my brother and I would barbecue chicken and drink Zima, <laughs> and then we would <laughs> play tennis until the sun goes down. Zima. Every day. And then you come back, you sleep, you wake up and do it again. Do you think our young guys even know what Zima is? Zima. I, I I think I'm losing touch. Like I'm realizing how old we're getting because I make references and guys are like, what the hell are you talking yeah, about? What like, is that? So we were doing a, a Cade McGaffin uh, had a 27th birthday this week and uh, we were doing the same thing, the four minutes. And I jokingly, we ran out of time and I jokingly said, Cade, if you were a hot dog, would you eat yourself? Because I know I would. <laughs> Which is a reference to like the late 90s, Will Ferrell playing Harry Carey, and none of them knew what the hell I was talking about. They were just like... I thought it was a thing to kind of dig in on the YouTubes to see some of this classic culture. Oh, man. I had to show them. I was like, gentlemen, this is called... If you were a hot dog. If you were a hot dog, would you eat yourself? (laughs) Well, shout out, Cade. I saw him tonight. He was playing bass at the Vigil Vigil Praise. Nice. The seminary does, I think, a monthly kind of uh, praise and worship night and adoration so they're doing office of readings adoration and then a bunch of songs and that has been like a sjv institution for a very long time long time and i told um jacob chavez shout out jacob he was playing the guitar um that father john neppel once was (laughs) i don't know if were you the lead guitar at one point so in I a, remember, it, but I told him that you played the mandolin. Yeah, and he was amazed. He says, so, what can that man not do? No, it was bad. It was it was a desperate moment in the history of vigil praise. So vigil praise is uh, once a month at the seminary. This this predates us, and you showed up at the seminary in two thousand three in yeah. Denver. Yeah, and, that's right. And it was already going. So I mean, that's how long this thing's. So I it's played a beaut- the congas. Played the congas. I think we overlapped a little bit. So they got desperate. They had nobody. So this is circa two thousand six. 
And so I was like, well, I can play some guitar. So I played, I played guitar. I led the thing, whatever. And then I think Greg Peterson rolled yeah. in and then it was like, Matt Oh, Henry. At, and then Matt Henry rolled in. So I, I was like lead guitar. And then the next year it was like rhythm guitar. And then they're like, why don't you learn bass? And then it was like, why don't you play the oh, djembe bass, drum? Dude? And then I was like, they were basically like, why don't you be the sound guy? And I was like, I think it's time for me to be done. You have you have talent again. So I did play with Vigil Whatever. Praise, but it wasn't. You're like the Renaissance musician. No, none of them. Ever since that Mixolydian j- jazz frogs. Okay, that was, yeah, that was my middle school band. That so. was fun, though. I liked the Vigil Praise. It was nice to be back hearing confessions. That's great. It's still, you know, packed house and yeah. lots of great confessions and anybody who's in st paul minneapolis who goes to Coryezu, it's similar they copied us but we'll forgive them okay. that but it's you'll be all right it's a great thing i mean like just having a time when you're praying in a beautiful place the blessed sacraments there you're praying in the office there's confessions just totally available you got a couple hundred young people there it's beautiful so it's great you were there for that and then it was it was really fun to see everybody afterward um i had to i had to dip out because i was coming back here but just a quick shout to Katie Gillette, Pamela Anderson. All right. Liz. And I can't forget. I, I can't remember your last name, Liz. We worked together at um, Elizabeth of Hungary Parish, and um, she was the director of religious education and uh, social worker. She's fantastic. Um, ben Kubier. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a I name mean, I haven't it heard a for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. A bunch of old characters. Josh Mayer. Josh Mayer. Meyer. Good. Which one? Josh. Our local. Meyer. We have a priest friend in... In Gallup named in Josh Gallup, Mayer. New Mexico. This is Josh Meyer. Okay. Josh Meyer. Yeah. He used to... Um, Maybe. No, it's Josh Mayer. You're right. See? Don't listen to me. It's very hard. The We would see him riding, riding his bike down to school from the North American College up on the hill <laughs> every day he would ride his bike at the same time it was like groundhog day it was it, that's we'd what walk out of the jesu yeah. <laughs> and he would come past somebody and he'd give us the same nod exact same gesture it was like whoa that happened yeah. again he's got his pants tied up and yeah for biking down there <laughs> that's funny. it really was we we did a whole josh mayor yep at, good dude uh, the jesu in rome like every day yeah that's and so funny mayor would come by he'd give us a little a little nod so everybody was there. That was really fun. And uh, I don't know where I was going with that. Well, maybe do it. 40th? You got a topic? I, I derailed oh, I got it. a topic. Okay, yeah. Okay. Should we move into that? So I've been praying the Stations of the Cross during Lent. I, I have this thing where, for some reason, the stations are kind of my thing right now. And so I'll pray one station each day and then um, just try to meditate on that. If one really hits, then I'll repeat it the next day. And I just love the Stations of the Cross. It's like a really cathartic way for me to mm. pray my sufferings and my, um, and then also just to watch the life of Christ interacting with Simon of Cyrene and the women of Jerusalem, his mother, and kind of his own pondering his own. So you pray one station a day, yeah, and just keep rotating through Lent. Yeah, that's been my my Lenten thing. Yeah, it's good. And um, I don't know quite. I've always loved the stations. It's almost a, a nostalgic thing. Like when you're a kid, you go to the parish and then there's the fish fry and the stations. And we don't use, my favorite is the Alphonsus Liguori one. That's all just like super intense. Yeah. And Jesus, why have I done this to you? 
I'm terrible. Like, you know, let me suffer with you. And these kind of like real intense things. At the cathedral, we're using um, Pope Benedict had written at a Stations of the Cross. But it's very like church interacting with the world and um, kind of the woes of the world, of war and of um, modern technological progress causing lots of problems and um, the the infidelity of the church and these kind of big we's rather than the Alphonse's like me and my stuff. Um, but I have been praying them after, you know, after mass on Fridays. I don't know if you, do you do that stuff on the, in the seminary? We do it in the seminary. Yeah. On Fridays. Um, you just go through by house. Yeah. Balthazar wrote a really beautiful stations. I don't know if you've ever seen them or prayed them. They're out of print, but, that's what I like. We don't. I, we don't do that. We do. I forget whose we do. Maybe it's Ligori. Is but. it a kind of thing that I could just Google? Uh, I think you and could. And if people are listening, I'm looking to see in our bookshelf here. I get the Balthazar. I don't see it. We reprinted it, but I, I could send it to people if anybody. I'd like to see, to see that. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. So you got. It's the, probably similar to the Ratzinger style in terms of just you know engaging modern. The, the the problems and the pains of the modern world, yeah, and bringing them into Christ, but and kind of the perspective of an intellectual, yeah. So praying these stations of the cross, and I have a devotion to Francis of Assisi, and I kind of like looked into, and was interested in his own um, particular devotion to the stations of the cross. What I find fascinating is that this guy was fueled by three things. Devotion to the Stations of the Cross. He always wanted to go to the Holy Land and just live there and uh, evangelize in the Holy Land. And then with the Eucharist, he had a uh, just a strong connection with the Eucharist, even from um, being a young man. And it was part of his like story of conversion and conflict. And, mm. um, and then he's also... Um, very particularly devoted to the uh, infant Jesus. You know, he's the attributed with the uh, introduction to the uh, to the church of the the crash, the nativity scene. You know, it's just like a standard for our I, I don't know Christmas parish reality, and even throughout I don't know that's kind of affected Christianity in a way that is pretty universal. So even beyond Christianity, like Mormons, you know, everybody yeah. loves the nativity scene. And well, he was the first, right? I mean, that's what they say. I don't know if that's yeah. true, but I'd heard I think that. it is. I think it is like kind of recreating that scene in a parochial setting. Well, and that one's probably particularly striking for you, the child Jesus, because when you went to Mexico in 2004 or five, whatever, uh, you had a striking similarity to the people of Mexico to Nino Dios. Nino Dios. They thought Mike was like, he looked exactly like this devotional child Jesus, and they just thought, wow, they just went nuts for it. They so. have this goofy child Jesus <laughs> with like a, a blonde afro. Right. <laughs> That's like the standard child Jesus. I don't know how that happened or why that appeals to Mexicans, but yeah, they used to call me uh, Nino, Nino Dios. Nino Dios. So uh, yeah, I, I, I always have... Um, had with, with this 40th birthday thing, a lot of people were given feedback about or just 
I don't know, writing in, telling me uh, they love me and that they have these kind of stories to tell or just want to thank me for primarily this this sort of light spirit, a kind of childlike spirit. And I am grateful to God for something, whatever that is. Um, But I think it's true. There's something of joy in... um, that's kind of carried through a lot of my life. And I look young. That's what people say. So I, th- I don't know how these, you know, how these things play out in Providence, but it has uh, been a kind of a constant theme. You know, I like eutropalia and yeah. all kinds of things about play and God and the Christian life. So what I found fascinating was that these things seem to be very paradoxical, a devotion to, Jesus, this infant in the manger scene, Mary and Joseph there, the animals around. Um, Francis is kind of known by reputation. I don't know, like the tradition and what people really are attracted to is his lightness of spirit, his um, interest in nature and his kind of playful prayers and poems that he wrote. I'm thinking of that statue of Francis up at the Aramo that you love. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Laying on the ground. He's laying on the ground. He's got his arms behind his back, behind his head, just yeah, staring up looking at the up stars. at the stars. Yeah. It's the only bronze I know that's just laying on the ground. It's awesome. Great statue. So that sense of kind of the, the softness, the, the kind of kindness, the warmth of the nativity scene. And then you have this stark contrast, I think, in the Stations of the Cross. Yeah. That he had this profound devotion to the Via Dolorosa, where it's bloody, it's violent, it's harsh. It's uh, Jesus at his kind of most desperate, the adult Jesus, kind of to the extreme, right? He's not like the friendly guy who's curing the blind. Now he's in his passion. He's in pain. He's uh, struggling through um, the sufferings of humanity and his own. And it's just so intense and seems to be the absolute opposite of the the kind of the quiet baby Jesus in the manger. And this was a theme that I, I I, I'm trying to figure out why they go together. And you had this motif in Baroque um, art, that is the infant Jesus sleeping on the cross. Have you mm. ever seen paintings like no, that? No, interesting. And sculptures. Yeah, they they were into this. What I, I tried to describe to a couple of people today, and they were saying, oh, that's that's like macabre. You know, that's really strangely dark. This Jesus, you know, just, just this baby with this kind of portent of the violence to come and the the death to come. Okay, so my thought is, here's Francis looking up at the altar and seeing when he sees the Eucharist, when he sees the Mass, you know, he was a deacon, he wasn't ever a priest, but he's watching the, the, um, the hands of the priest, and he has beautiful poems that he writes about the, uh, the consecration, Jesus becoming present on the altar, and he sees both at once. He's seeing the child Jesus on the altar, and he writes about those things. And then he's seeing Jesus giving himself in sacrifice 
with this kind of bloody sacrificial image of this yeah adult man who's suffering terribly and seeing both at the same time so it's making me reflect on human suffering and its relationship to the the crush to the nativity scene and i'm wondering i think the kind of cheap psychological interpretation would be that francis having suffered a lot uses the crash the, the the infant jesus as a kind of happy place you know in the midst of your suffering when you're feeling the suffering you you go to your happy place and you envision you live there you pray there um, in meditation and you have this kind of escape from the sufferings now francis himself remember he was captured in war or in battle they were fighting, Assisi was fighting against Perugia, just, you know, a few blocks north, mm-hmm. you know, a few a few miles north. And he was captured, he was imprisoned for a year, and then he got very sick and had, like, kind of experiences of, what am I doing with my life? And then he goes back, he has something of a conversion, and he gives away all of his stuff and his father's stuff like the inheritance he had and his father beats him and throws him in jail in his own house and imprisons him. I, I don't know how long he was in prison there. Do you remember in Assisi? You can go to I the I remember house. the prison. Yeah, yeah. The, the cell in the Chiesa Nuova is yeah. the church. Yeah. So you're thinking of this guy who's going to live the rest of his life. And, and his mom let him out, right? His mom let him out. Yeah. Yeah. And, but you think of this, this guy has some serious trauma. All right. So I don't want to over psychologize the saint. I don't know enough about his life and his like, I don't know, reality, but you can imagine the trauma that would come from that sort of severe abuse and rejection of his father. And then also this, you know, like cataclysmic um, sickness that he endured while a prisoner um, outside of his land. Now he's going to take on this vagabond life and he's going to subject himself to the elements. You know, he's always living on the street. He's living out in the cold. He's wandering around the forests and preaching when he can in town, but then often kind of going off on his own. And it was a harsh reality, harsh existence. And I imagine that he suffered pretty profoundly. And by the end of his life, he had stigmata in addition to everything else. Yeah. It's like, thanks, Jesus. Yeah. You throw the... But he loved the, the suffering of Christ. So Francis is, is constantly connected to the Eucharist, and that's where he's feeling his, his fuel, receiving his fuel, receiving the graces that led to such a profound life of charity and uh, devotion to the will of God. So I'm thinking... Of and just that now, this is just brainstorming on like what is it if if it's not this cheap escape, you know, the happy place, then is there a connection between the the child Jesus, the infant Jesus, and and the cross? So I think you can look at the infant Jesus as a mode of Christian being in the midst of suffering. So I and I and I think of just a few ways. 
So one is that a child, like an infant, they are feeling suffering, they're feeling pain, but they have no way to address it themselves. You know, they can't comfort themselves. They need. Hmm. So they're dependent on the parents. They're dependent. If you're around your, your nephews, then you know when they're infants, the way that you kind of take care of their suffering is that you just hold them. You know, you kind of bop around. I don't know what that thing is. We're bouncing. <laughs> A lot of bouncing. <laughs> Do you bounce? The baby Bjorn. The, the baby Bjorn. <laughs> The bounce. There's that the kind of like um, swing yeah. you can do with your arms. Is that a real thing anymore? I don't. I don't know anything about this, but I know that. But it seems to be effective. The bouncing. You put them on your shoulder. Know. Yeah. You bounce around a little bit. Um, Jesus, in his suffering, can suffer with grace because he is constantly aware of the presence of his father and his mother. Mm. You know, his mother at the foot of the cross, and his father. You know, into your hands I commend my spirit. You know, um, his father is always there, kind of present, and he relies on that sense of I can go through anything because my father is here. You know? It's a beautiful way to pray to the father, and I think, in particular, when you're suffering, you know, to reach out and to to know, like, something about Christian prayer is just awareness of reality, and the reality is that your heavenly father is watching over you. I don't know, is, is there to comfort you and to take care of you. So that's the first one, is the dependence of an infant. And Jesus, in some way, he stays young. Yeah, you know, this, These are the ones who enter the kingdom of God and relies on the presence and the protection and the comfort of his father. Two. Hold on a second before we do that. So I would just say, behind you is the volumes of Chesterton in our companion's library. And he makes a really big point of Christ, um, the youthfulness of Christ Mm. and the significance that the savior from the Christian perspective was how the Romans described it. A Juventus, you were a, you were a youth until you were 40. Mm. So you're no longer Juventus. You just passed over the, the Rubicon there, but, um, that Christ died at 33 and he was according to Roman law, still a young man. Mm. Um, and that childlikeness is still the heart of everything. It's not kind of the old sage who's, however, 80, 90, who dispenses wisdom. It's There's something about this childlikeness, and it's rooted in, as you said well, like the modality of his sonship, that Jesus isn't just kind of accidentally in relationship with the Father, but his whole being is son. And it and it transcends the way we understand it. You and I are sons of our fathers, Daryl Nepple and Dick Rapp. But Jesus's sonship is it 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 envelops everything that he is in a different way. Mm. And you see that very like kind of obviously naturally with a baby in the manger. Yeah, but not always with this guy who's suffering yeah. on the cross. Um, but so the, yeah, so the young man cr- on the cross is is the same as, as the baby. So before you go to number two though, this is your birthday. Oh, okay. So question number two, favorite cereal as a child. And then what do you eat for breakfast now as a, as a 40 year old man? Okay. These days I'm trying to eat. Um, I like fried eggs. I like, um, yogurt with some fruit in it. Um, I'm still eating a little cereal. Okay. Father Jason Wunsch, who is my housemate here, uh-huh. 
he only eats cereal in the morning. So we're on frosted mini wheats and um, honey bunches of oats with almonds. That's solid. And yeah. they, and then I sprinkle a little all bran in there. Oh. That's my old man <laughs> fiber. How about as a kid? What was your cereal? So my cereal as a kid was the, I liked more than anything, the cinnamon toast crunch. Classic. However, Perennial. my, my, Grandpa is uh, was a dentist, and so my mom was very careful about not giving us a bunch of sugar. Okay. So that was kind of rare, the Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I don't know that a lot of people know this one. Grape nuts. Uh, <laughs> Do you know grape nuts? <laughs> oh, man. Grape nuts and all brand. Grape nuts is like really thick kind yeah. of cereal, and you put a little honey on the grape nuts. I always like that. And then uh, Wheaties. Okay. We did Classic. Wheaties. I never liked the, the taste of Cheerios. I still think it's very strange that anyone would like that flavor. And then all those like sugar cereals are just, it's just sugar. Too much. I don't know if it's even, is it food? Is yeah. it nutrients? Yeah. And then we did skim milk. Skim milk. Yeah. yeah. Some people insult skim milk and I take very, <laughs> I take offense to that. I really do. Because it's great and it stays colder than that dumb fatty milk. Oh, interesting. You don't do skim milk. We did not do skim milk in our house. Yeah. But that was breakfast. And then, let's see, my mom frequently made um, poached eggs. Oh, nice. And you put it on a piece of toast. Oh, yeah. That's good. All right. So All right, number two. Number two. The the kid who's suffering, you know, the, we're talking about a little kid now. Um, they look to their parent to know whether or not they should panic and if they should suffer more than they are. So kids running along, kid falls over, bonks their head, um, scrapes their knee or whatever. And I love this. They look up at their parent. If the parent's not there, the kid just starts screaming. If the parent is there, then they look at them. And if the parent says, no, you're okay, then they just, they're okay. Bump, you know, they're back up and they're just running around. And I see that, um, I don't know. I, what comes to mind is my my nephews with their their dad Isaac, and also Sophie, my niece, and Hannah. So, yeah, they'll just you can see this moment of like shock. It's it's just shock, and then they wonder whether or not they should freak out about the pain that they're feeling because they're gonna feel pain. They, you just bonked your head, but then when the parent says, um, "No, you're all right." You're all right. And they look calm. Then there's calm in the kid. And, and they keep on moving. Now, that's not an absolute. And I'm not a parent, so I actually don't see these all the time. But you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I do. And I think they're, like, even psychologically, if people who are therapists were listening to this, like, a, parents have to help children regulate their emotions. Because they can't. Kids can't. Four-year-olds can't. They can't regulate what they're feeling, so you have to. You actually have to help them do that. And if you don't, then there's real problems down the down the line. So they have to not just say "suck it up, it's fine." There's never pain, but but to just help them, yeah, understand the understand gravity it. of this. Yeah, exactly, and, and work through it. But but we mirror that. That's we're very relational in terms of how we experience things interiorly as as children. As yeah. we get older, we don't think we are, but we always are. Yeah, we're dependent that way. And so Jesus, uh, on the way of the cross, he meets his mother. And I've prayed that in different ways. But one of them can be this sort of calm 
in the midst of the, the sort of panic of suffering and, and pain. I mean, he's fallen, he's carrying this terribly heavy cross. He's just been beaten, been crowned with thorns, been mocked, been um, deprived of sleep all night, like Trevor Tabertsma, yeah. Father Trev. Yeah, Father and, Trev. And there's something of like, no, this is your, you know, this is your mission. It's okay. It's okay. You can do this. And there's something of a marvel in that. Like Mary, is that the role of a mother? It's, it's very intriguing to know. Um, should this mother say, stop, you know, st- stop doing this? Or should she say, you know, follow the will of God? And um, you can, you know, there's, there's a comfort and a strength there that also respects his own, you know, resolve. Hmm. He entered willingly into his passion. Um, so there's the mother along the way. And then of course the same with the father that Jesus is enduring something that is like in his humanity, this is like desperate panic kind of experience of the body that says, I need to get out of this. And there's something of maybe a, like an internal resolve, but also knowing that you have that, that father who's like kind of looking at him and saying, saying, I'm with you. Yeah. And I think that the source of Mary's ability to surrender Jesus at the cross and let him experience things that she couldn't control was rooted in her own identity as a daughter of God, the father. Because we talk about Mary as mm. daughter Zion, that's kind of a name for her, which comes out of the Old Testament. Um, but she really had a deep sense that her son was from the Father, who's not just like when we talk about God, the the name God, the word God is so abstract. Um, it's Father. The Father is the source of all things, the source of everything that exists of our lives. This is the originating principle of reality, and Mary's deep conformity that I think freed her son, freed her heart to do that. I'm thinking about this because today's the Feast of the Annunciation. We're podcasting. This podcast is coming out on Holy Thursday in a a week and a half. Um, So yeah, her role in all of this, as Catholics, we look at that and we're like, it really mattered that Mary was there at the cross. It really mattered that that Jesus encountered her uh, on the way. in the stations and that she said yes and that she permitted this but also something about the mother and that all of those years of uh nancy rap helping you to understand and interpret you know the reality that you found yourself in as a little guy it doesn't just go away yeah moms always know our moms know yeah you know they just they they intuit everything it's amazing and there's Mother Bear, yeah, who's ready to strike. Yeah. Um, so there's something of a share in the suffering that yeah. I think is very profound. I o- often recommend to mothers to pray with Our Lady um, in their suffering of uh, just yeah motherhood. How do I how do I endure the difficulties of watching the kids fall, whether that's morally or physically or whatever it is, um, and yet she has like her life, her soul was defined by that fiat. Be it done unto me according yeah. to my word. You know, God, it's your will. And yeah. that's what Jesus wanted from the garden and following. Okay, last one. 
Huh? Last one. The last one is um, how kids can sometimes give the strength to their parents. So you have something like I, the thought was getting on the roller coaster. You know, the kid just says they're they're fearless to a certain extent. You know, the kids they'll say, "Oh, I want to do this. Come on, come on, come on!" And the parents are like, "Oh, I don't know. That looks a little sketchy." Or I'm you know I'm scared. Life will scar you and will scare you and will jade us, turn us into cynics. And we develop broken hearts and all kinds of hurts. And it's the kids who can kind of show you the, the ideal and, um, and move into, move into things with courage and kind of lead the way in, in some ways, you know, the, the child who is, um, yeah, just kind of, come on, let's go. Let's go for an adventure. And they have that hope springs eternal. You know, these, this is going to turn out well. And here's Jesus kind of suffering these things with this bold innocence that says, for example, people are good. You know, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. You know, there's something very, very innocent. Some would mm-hmm. call naive in a statement like that. But there's nothing naive about someone who has suffered what he has and who has seen what he has and, um, and yet is saying, you know, this is possible. I can trust. I can continue to trust. There's something um, about a child that just says, I believe what my parents tell me. I believe what my friends tell me. I believe the, the beautiful messages that I've been told. And Jesus holds out to the very end. He's trusting in God that I can die and I won't die. I can die and I'll still be because God had promised me life you know yeah yeah there's something to that i mean how old's your oldest niece or nephew oh no now i'm gonna get in trouble take a guess i think max is four max is four okay so rose's oldest Uh uh-huh yeah it's fun to watch them and four is a great is a fun age i mean we're uncles so it's all fun we don't have to actually do do the heavy lifting um but there's something about like you're saying like they are totally naturally um, themselves in the way that they trust reality. Mm. They just have this hopeful, joyful, kids are not cynics. Exactly, yeah. They're just, and they and they kind of bounce through things and they get really upset and they melt down, but then they just bounce back. And and, and I just love watching our Everything's siblings. Everything's gonna turn out well. Yeah, it's, it always is. It's all, And they love stories for that reason. It's like, just mm. tell us the story and how things are gonna end. And um, so I think, yeah, there's something about, your, I feel like you're penetrating into the childlikeness of Jesus, even as an adult man mm-hmm. um, at the cross. Um, and the, the word that comes to mind from Chesterton, you catastrophe, he loves this thing, like the great, Oh, the, yeah. the the catastrophe of just goodness of greatness at the end of Lord of the Rings or whatever it is the the fairy stories that he's conceiving of from his Christian view uh, that there is this hope that is that cannot be conquered and uh, and that's the that's the the heart of Christian childlikeness which is the essence of the faith I mean that's that's what it's about and you can bring it into any sufferings of life. Yeah, you know that the Holy Spirit makes us young. Yeah, we share in the Spirit of Christ. So, 
that's it that's when uh when you look at the the eucharist when you look at the altar you're seeing the cross you're also seeing the manger and you're seeing um if you're seeing with francis you're seeing this um this christ who is offering himself in the most profound way and entering into our sufferings but as a child yeah you know as a perennial child so, so that's it i haven't read chesterton's biography of saint francis unfortunately. yeah it's been a while for me too i don't know if he plays on some of that i think he does i think chesterton is is the childlike yeah guy he he i think he was drawn to francis for that reason so okay last uh question best ski day you've ever had Oh boy! Because you've had many, many good. Ones. I've been on many good ones with you. But Best ski what's day. your what's your oh, favorite boy. your favorite adventure day in the backcountry? I think it's all like kind of big fish story in my head anymore. But that's almost part of the fun. That's right. Is um, little Billy and I <laughs> hiking? <laughs> I the, figured it'd be the S the shoot. S shoot at Copper Mountain. I love it. And then just not knowing what we were doing, yeah, not knowing what we were getting into. And there weren't skins back then. At least I didn't know about them. So we were just boot packing. Oh, man. Just hiking up this long chute for a day and then uh, skiing down. I don't even remember if the skiing was good. It's just almost an accomplishment. Yeah. You know? And then it's a sketchy, sketchy route. You know, that shoot is oh, yeah. avalanche prone. Yeah. And we were naive, but we we made it. That's By the grace awesome. of God and good guardian angels, I guess. But I, there's been a ton of great ski days. Yeah. And we've shared some of those. And yeah. there's, you know, powder days in the trees. Also, teaching Father Tom Anderson and Father Kevin Zilverberg how to ski powder. Uh, and they took to it real In Vail, right? No, this was copper, I think. Okay. But uh, in seminary at some point. Lots of good ski days, man. There's no bad ski days. The S shoot is nuts. I mean, we're talking 3,000 feet straight up on the 10-mile range just across from Asp or from Copper. If you're ever going on I-70, look back look back to the left, and you'll see what, what Father Mike and Little Billy hiked up. There's it's, three it's shoots. That's yeah. S-K-Y. They call them the sky shoots. Uh, yeah. Down that's the, awesome. Down the mountain. All right, man. Good. Well, thanks. Happy Feast of the Annunciation. Yeah, you as well, Father Trevor Tabersma. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, man. Congratulations. Great to have him here. I, I wish we'd have got him like eight hours ago. But Best, uh, blessings on your a uh, wonderful PhD guy, work. wonderful man. Happy fortieth birthday, and uh, thank you. A happy Triduum to you as we step into the Paschal mystery and then into Easter. Blessings. God has lots of surprises for you. He pours out His graces during the Easter season, so. Um, for all of you listener land just keep your eyes open and watch for those graces amen catholic stuff podcast at gmail.com thanks for listening see you next week Ciao.